Y'all, y'all, uh, y'all ready to jump in the, the book of Second Thessalonians tonight? We went through First Thessalonians in the fall. If you'll turn your Bibles to Second Thessalonians, that is where we're going to spend our time for the next three weeks. I'm going to start off with the story. <coughs> so back in November, back in November, one of my buddies uh, that lives here in the city invited me to start working out with him. Um, and he leads a little group, just a, about four or five of us guys, and we do this thing called HIT, High Intensity Interval Training. A lot of sprinting, a lot of body weight, a lot of, a lot of crazy stuff. It's great. I love it. I f- love the feeling afterwards, but man, do I dislike it during. Um, we work out on one of the football f- fields here in the metro, and I mean, we, there's some intense workouts, but one of my least favorite is titled The Death March. And that, it would make sense that'd be my least favorite if it's called the Death March. Um, we actually only do half of what the Death March is actually designed to do. It's a Navy SEAL workout that we were like, okay, yeah, let's do this. And this Death March, for what we do, is two rounds of 110-yard bear crawls. You guys know what a bear crawl is? Where you get it down like a bear and you go. So I, you do that for 110 yards for the length of a football field and the end zone. And then you do what they call a fireman's carry. So you pick up a partner, and you put them over your back, and you do a nice little jog for 110 yards. The next part is called a burpee broad jump. You guys know what a burpee is? You jump down in like push-up position. You get back up, and you jump up. That's a burpee. Right after that, you would do a broad jump, which is where you have both feet, and you jump as far as you can. That's called a burpee broad jump. You do 110 yards of that. Then you do 110 yards of lunges, just lunging for 110 yards, and you do that again, which is it's like insanity. But the, the part that really gets me is the burpee broad jumps because it takes forever. Say I, I, I jump two and a half yards each time for 110 yards, that's like 50 jumps after doing burpees. I mean, it's, it's craziness, and it's during that time, usually about the second time through, I'm at like the 30-yard line, and I'm just thinking, there's no way I'm finishing this. There's no way I'm getting down this field, and I'm, I'm asking myself, why did I sign up to do this? This is just torture. It's 6 a.m. I, I can't even see my hands. It's so dark, and I'm just in that moment where I'm exhausted. I don't know why I'm doing it, and I just feel like I'm overwhelmed. Now, a lot of us can feel that way about this time of year as well. Start of a new semester, a lot of expectations on grades. A lot of us, it, it's this, the time change where it gets darker earlier. There's a lot of us that st- struggle with depression and anxiety in these moments in winter. For some reason, it just heightens everybody's anxiety and depression. And you can be in the moment where you feel like, I'm overwhelmed. How can I continue on? You're asking yourself, why am I even living this life? We can get overwhelmed sometimes. And we suffer, we go through trials. And tonight, as we jump into the book of 2 Thessalonians, we see again that the Thessalonians are suffering. They're going through trials. They're being persecuted for their faith. And they're asking themselves, why? How can I keep going? So my goal tonight is for you to understand what suffering is, why it happens, and what God's purpose for our suffering is. I think you can track with me on that. What, what suffering is, why it happens, and what God's 
purpose for it is. So if you'll jump into the book of 2 Thessalonians with me in chapter 1, we'll skip those first two verses. The greeting, that's a classic Paul. Uh, when he writes a letter, he greets um, just like that in the first two verses. In verses 3 and 4, God's word says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as it is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and for the love of everyone of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and afflictions that you're enduring. Now, I'm not going to spend much time on these. I just want to give you two quick notes on encouragement that we see from Paul here. The first one is that we are called to love one another. So make sure that one another knows that they love that you love them. Right? If we're called to love God and love others, if we say we love other people, if we ask other people if you love them, would they say yes? Or would they say that you walk by them at school? That you don't acknowledge them, that you isolate them just like everybody else? If we're called to love one another, make sure that that other person knows. The second is a, a quote from a commentary that I read that says, Praises that come from others are pleasant. They're great to hear. But more than being pleasant, they can strengthen, resolve, and stimulate hope. That when you encourage somebody, you are stimulating hope in them. You know why? It's because you're telling them, hey, I see you. Right? You have a lot of people, your friend groups on your teams, at your school, in your band, that are going through really tough times. Their parents are going through divorce. Maybe a parent has lost a job. Maybe you're being isolated. Maybe you're not meeting the grades or the expectations your parents have for you. And if someone comes up to you and encourages you and, and tells you, hey, you're doing great. I see you. Man, that stimulates a little hope inside of you to keep on keeping on, right? So be that person of encouragement, just like Paul is for the church at Thessalonica. Those are my two quick notes on encouragement. My first point for us tonight as we dive into the meat and potatoes of this passage is that karma is not real, but the the reality of suffering is. Karma is not real, but the reality of suffering is. You guys have probably heard this term, this idea of karma, right? Nod your head yes or no if you've ever heard of this idea of karma, right? It's basically this idea, if you do something good, something good will happen to you. If you do something bad, something bad will happen to you. Like It's pretty common sense of what karma is. But it's important for us to understand that karma is not true. It's not real. It's not a true thing. You ask, well, how do you know that, Dylan? How do you know for sure that karma isn't real? Well, there's a famous question that a ton of people ask, and a lot of people ask Christians, and that question is, why do bad things happen to good people? And you guys ever heard that before? That, that question of why do bad things happen to good people? Well, if karma was true, and if a person is doing good things, how does a bad thing happen to them? Right? Sometimes that can be an underlying belief, an underlying lie that we believe in our day-to-day, and that kind of controls how we act. And we serve God, and we read our Bibles, we pray to Him out of duty, feeling like, if I don't read my Bible today, God won't love me, and He's going to break my family up. Or I'm going to get a bad grade on my test if I don't read my Bible today. That is not the desire. That is not the, the, the reason we want to go to the Lord. It's not because He's going to bless us with good things if we follow Him. Right? He promises us that we're going to suffer. 
it's important for us to understand that karma is not real. Verse 5 says, This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Suffering is a reality. Like, we just have to get used to the fact that suffering happens. You've had loved ones pass away. Again, you've had all of these situations that you or your friends are going through. Uh, the thing for us is we need to understand why suffering happens and what, what God's purpose for it is. And that's what we will find in God's Word tonight. Just imagine the Thessalonians here. The first letter, uh, Paul was talking about them being persecuted, them going under trials because of their faith. The second letter to that same church, he's still talking about this church being persecuted because of their faith. I, w- I just want you to imagine to be this church where you're just in this elongated state, this state of being persecuted that is lasting forever. And you're in the middle of it, and you're saying, why is this continuing to happen? I am overwhelmed. God, why are you allowing this to happen? Why are we continuing to suffer? Why are people continuing to be killed for the faith? Imagine them crying out to God. This is what the situation Paul is writing to. So a question we have to simply ask is, why does suffering happen? Why do bad things happen in the first place? It's rather a simple and easy answer for us to understand. It's because we live in a sinful world. We live in a world where sin has entered through Adam and Eve. Therefore, we are all tainted with this disease called sin. And because we live in a world that is broken, that is sinful, bad things happen. It's, it's that easy. That's the reason why bad things happen. Because we live in a sinful world. Sin is alive and well on this earth. Verse 5 talks about this evidence. And there are some people that, that say that when you suffer, it's an evidence of your faith in Jesus. And you might ask, is that true? Is, it, is suffering an evidence of our faith? Yes and no on, on that question. No Suffering is not evidence of your faith because everyone suffers. Everyone goes through trials. Everyone has bad things happen to them. There are many people in the prison system that have done some vicious and terrible, terrible things. Now, they're suffering in prison. Are they suffering in prison because of their faith? No. They're suffering in prison because of the sin that they have committed. So we see that not necessarily is suffering the evidence of our faith, but on the flip side, it is when we are suffering for the gospel. Now, we don't suffer for the gospel like people over uh, in the Middle East or in Asia or in India or places like that where, uh, where, where Christianity is not uh, as normalized, it's not legal, where people are literally putting their life on the lines each and every single day that they profess Jesus as Lord. Now, we, we suffer in different ways, right? We can get ridiculed. It's, it's amping up more. We can be isolated. People can make fun of us say we're not very smart, we're not very intellectual because we believe in God. But what what Paul is talking about here is this evidence, evidence of the righteousness, the righteous judgment of God, is that he's going back to verses 3 and 4 where he says, hey Thessalonians, I want to encourage you, I see you persevering. The evidence of your salvation is because you are persevering through suffering. The evidence of your salvation that you belong to Jesus Christ is that you are persevering through trials, persevering through suffering. 
And he's thanking that. He's encouraging them to continue to do that. Can we persevere under ridicule and suffering on our own? The answer is no, right? Because our sin has, has got us separation from God. In our own strength, we are not able to persevere when we are getting made fun of, when we are being isolated. We're not able to persevere when our parents are getting a divorce or our parents lose a job or we're, we're depressed. We are not able in our own strength to break through that. What Paul is saying here and what's he encur- what he is encouraging to the Thessalonians is that he sees God working inside of them. Now we believe that once you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you are saved for eternity, that you cannot lose your salvation. We believe in the perseverance of the saints, that once you accept Jesus, you accept Jesus for your entire life. Now there's a lot of people in our world, and even probably people that have come through the walls of Quail Springs Baptist Church that have confessed that Jesus is their Lord and Savior, but really there's been no life change. Their life doesn't look different. They're still finding themselves in the same sin, not caring about who God is or how God works in their life. We see that disciples of Jesus persevere through suffering because disciples are people that really have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that, they are, that Jesus is the Lord of their life and they're following Him and becoming more like Him each and every single day. What makes you worthy of the kingdom? It says here in verse 5 that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. What makes you worthy of the kingdom of God is that you have God working inside of you. Again, it's not in your own strength or in your own ability or merit that we are worthy of the kingdom of God. It is only because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And we see we get to join Christ in his example of suffering. John 15 says, is Jesus talking, he says, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If I suffered, you are going to suffer as well. We see that we get to join Christ in this opportunity because it makes us more like him. Verse 6 says, since indeed God considers it just to repay, repay with affliction those who afflict you. That we see that God is the judge. He is the final word verse 7 the beginning of verse 7 says this and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us that Jesus will grant relief to us of those who are in Jesus Christ which tells us that the suffering that we go through the trials that we go through each and every single day they're temporary right in the middle of it we can be overwhelmed and we can be questioning why in the world there's no way I can continue or push on or finish but we see that Paul is telling us that these, these sufferings, these trials, these tribulations are temporary. Because ahead of us, it says he's going to grant us relief. He's talking about eternity here. And we see in Revelation that there will be no more tears, there will be no more pain or hurt or death or suffering in heaven. That when you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you will have the great relief Eternity with Jesus Christ forever. Mark Howell, this, the writer of a commentary, says this. View present circumstances through the lens of future promises. View present circumstances, the things that are going on in your life right now, through the lens of future 
promises. When we look at our, our present circumstance, we can get consumed by it. But He's telling us to look up to the future promises that there will be rest one day. There will be a place where there's no more tears, no more death, no more divorce, no more hurt, no more pain. We would look. And that is what Jesus has promised us if we accept Him as our Lord and Savior. What a beautiful promise He's given us. The second point is this. Judgment is real and there are consequences to our unbelief. Judgment is real and there are consequences to our unbelief. Now, I had a best friend named Dylan. Great name for a best friend if you ask me. He was my neighbor growing up. Uh, He lived right up the hill and he had a dad that was big and strong as an ox. I mean, this dude's like 6'3", 6'4", just stout, massive, massive dude. And then we were in middle school. We were your age. So what do middle middle schoolers do best? They pester people, right? You guys pester your parents, pester your friends sometimes. So my, my, my buddy's dad is laying on the couch. So what do me and Dylan do? We are running around the couch, just slapping his head, poking him, pulling his, pulling his pants, pinching his shirt, pinching his arm. We're just, we're pestering the heck out of him. And we think we're, we're sly. He's not going to be able to get us. We're like, man, we're making through this smooth. Well, all of a sudden, Dylan's dad springs into action and grabs each of us with one arm. He just takes it and he picks us up and he brings us together. Like, there's no way you're getting out of that. Like, there's times where I've pestered with him that he's rolled me up in a rug, in like in a kitchen rug, and like almost tossed me over the deck at our house. Like, we pestered with him all the time, but we got what we deserved, right? We messed with him, therefore he was going to get us, right? That's the way it worked. We see here that judgment is real. And we're going to see this from the passage at the end of verse 7 through verse 9. It says this, And when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. There's a lot of us and a lot of our friends and a lot of people in our lives that we just look at Jesus and we just think this this sweet little nice guy that just loves everybody. And he's like, hey, it doesn't matter what you do. Like you do you, you live your own truth. You can all come to heaven. We, I love everybody, right? There's people that look at Jesus like that as just some little happy-go-lucky religious image, religious symbol. And, and they look at Jesus in that way. But we see that Jesus isn't that way because John 14, 6 says, I'm, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and there's no way to the Father except through me. That Jesus says, yes, you can get to the Father, you can spend eternity in heaven with me, but it's only through me, only through my death and resurrection can you come to heaven. There are many kids in our lives, there are many parents and, and friends that do not take the judgment that is coming Seriously. You guys ever had a substitute teacher before? You guys have always only treated your substitute teachers with with the utmost respect, right? You guys ever had the substitute teacher that they just walk in the room and they have like absolutely no authority and you just do whatever you want to do, right? And you guys, that's happened before. Hey, unfortunately, there's a lot of us in our life that look at Jesus that same way. 
We look at Jesus that same way as the substitute teacher, that we just think he's this religious little symbol of a guy that doesn't really matter, that we can just live our life the way we want to, and maybe at the end of our life, on our deathbed, we can say we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, but have never walked with him for the entirety of our life because we didn't take his authority seriously. This passage paints a very different picture of Jesus not being authoritative. It's him being authoritative. He is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to scare you tonight, but what Scripture says, if you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he is going to come with judgment. Verse 9 says, those that do not know the gospel, those that do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. Eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. That is, is what is waiting those who do not know Jesus. Some of you guys in your life, you've been in church your whole life, and you've gone to Sunday school, you've gone to Wednesday nights, but you kind of live your, your life the way you want to the rest of the week, right? Like, y'all know the game. Like, y'all know how to talk around the people that you need to talk about, and be the person, right, the good kid around the people that you need to be, yet you just do your own thing the rest six or seven days of the week. Jesus has authority. And when we do not submit to that authority, in our path is not future relief. It's not an eternity with Jesus. It's an eternity of eternal destruction. Away from the presence of the Lord. That's what's waiting for us that who, who do not know Jesus, for our friends that don't know Jesus, for our family members that don't know Jesus. And a lot of us aren't taking that seriously, that Jesus has absolute authority. And when He is not our Lord and Savior, eternal destruction is coming our way. That is the path that we are set on from birth because of our sin. It's a scary path that not, not a lot of us are taking seriously. But we need to. The reality of judgment, it's real. It's here. Third point for tonight as we continue moving on in verses 10 through 12 is that God uses suffering for our good and His glory. God uses suffering for our good and His glory. Verses 10 through 12 say this. When He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because of our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question that we're going to end with in this point tonight is that how does God use our suffering? How does God use our suffering for our good and His glory? How does God use suffering for our good and His glory? The first one, how does God use suffering for our good? It's a word called sanctification. Can everyone say sanctification with me? Three, two, one. Sanctification. It's a $20 word that I've, I've, I've taught you all before. It's the process of becoming more 
like Jesus. It's the process of becoming more like Jesus. I want you to imagine a sculptor. And he's got a big block of marble here. And he is tasked with the, the, the job of making this big block of marble into Rumble the Bison for the Oklahoma City Thunder, the mascot for the Thunder. Is he just going to snap his fingers and bam, Rumble's going to be there? No. He's going to take a hammer and a chisel, and he's going to start chipping away at this big block of marble until it looks like Rumble. Now, God uses suffering in our lives. He uses trials in our life to chip away at our selfishness, to chip away at our stubbornness, to chip away on our reliancy on our own self. Because if you acknowledge it, we are all selfish and sinful people that are very stubborn. Anybody with me? We're selfish, sinful, and stubborn people. That God uses tribulations and suffering in our life to mold us into the image of His Son, Jesus. That's why suffering is for our good. There's times where there's great tragedy in our life. We've had family members pass away. We have a divorce in the family or we've lost a house or our parents have lost a job or we're going through uh, a big breakup with some of our friends or we're going through depression or anxiety and we're like, God, why am I going through this? God is using that to build you up into the image of Jesus. He's going to work in those situations in ways that we could never comprehend. He's looking at everything from a 50,000-foot view when we're just looking at our situation like this. God uses suffering for our good because He uses that to make us look more like His Son, Jesus, who suffered just like we are suffering. The second part of that, how does God use suffering for His glory? Verse 12 says that, So the name of Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. So that... The, the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. God puts us through suffering sometimes. He allows suffering in our lives so others may see God working in you. Right? Remember verses 3 and 4 when Paul says, I see God working inside of you. I see you persevering through trials, through the suffering. That the point of those is that others may see you and you just have this, this joy about you, this ability to continue on and persevere no matter the, the suffering or the trial that is happening in your life. God wants to use that for others to say, why are they like that? Like, how does Addie continue on despite all of this happening in her life? Or how does Hayden do that despite this person passing away in their family? He's still so joyful. What is, what is different about him? That God uses that as a platform for us to tell them about the relationship and the peace that we have in Jesus Christ. Because remember in verse 7 that He promises us relief and eternity. And the awesome thing about this, the, the great thing about this, is that God will never waste your suffering. If God intends to use your suffering for His glory, He's not going to waste that. So you may be going through trial after trial after trial, and you're like, God, do you even see me right now? Take heart that God sees you in every moment, through every trial, and He is using that for your good and His glory. 
So in conclusion tonight, you may be going through suffering right now. You may know someone that is going through suffering, a family member, a friend, you yourself. What do we need to understand walking away from this room? We've, we, we've learned a lot about suffering tonight. What do we need to understand as we walk out? I think God offers us these two promises as we walk away that we can understand about suffering and understand about the, the idea of suffering, that there is a future rest and there is a future judgment. There is, a, there is a future rest in eternity from our suffering if we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior and we walk faithfully with Him, right? Because Jesus has come and changed our hearts, our lives look different. There is a future rest for believers that have submitted to Jesus as Lord and Savior. But there's also a future judgment for those who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And it's coming. And Jesus will come in flaming fires and angels to bring eternal destruction. May that be an encouragement for us to tell our friends and our family members to take seriously the authority of Jesus. And the second of that promise is that God will, will not waste your suffering. He will use it for His glory. Know that everything that's happening in your life, that God is using it in a much bigger way than you could ever realize. Would you pray with me? God, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, we even thank You for heavy topics like this tonight. Lord, to start off the year in suffering and eternal destruction and judgment, Lord, that's not a very happy uh, happy message to start the year off, but God, I pray that it would resonate with us, that it would sit with us, that we would understand the trials and the tribulations and the times that we are suffering are not just for, for no reason. God, you are using it in a mighty way to, to transform us into the image of your son and also using it for your glory for us to be witnesses to other people because of what you're doing through our life, because of what you're doing through us. God, I pray for those that do not know you tonight. Lord, this is not a, a message to scare people into accepting you. God, this is a message to reveal the authority of your son, Jesus. That he is the authority to give eternal life. That's found and rooted in his death and resurrection. Lord, he has the authority to bring eternal destruction. God, I pray for those that do not know you tonight, that they would begin a conversation with their small group leader about accepting you as their Lord and Savior, that their life would dramatically change because of what you are doing through them. God, I pray that they would accept that free gift tonight. And God, for us that, that are believers, God, I pray that you would encourage us and you would convict us of living lethargic lives. God, that we would take serious the authority of Jesus and what He's called us to. And Lord, that we would persevere through trials and tribulations because we are sticking close to You. Sticking close to someone that has gone through suffering before and You know it so well because You went to the cross for our sake. You went in our place. And God, we thank You for that. And we give You glory for that. God, may we be faithful no matter the isolation, no matter the trials, no matter suffering for our faith, that we would stand firm in you and we become more like you in the process. God, we give you glory. Amen.